Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast in which we'll be reviewing the first weekend of the Autumn Nation series. Today I am joined by the third best um, player of our um, Rugby Bits um, Autumn Nation series fantasy, um, fantasy pool, which is Sean, joined by <laughs> what is it, the eighth best um, player in the Autumn Nation series, Paul Jared. I'm in the 20s and Quicks, because he couldn't get into the top 30, he's been banned from the, from the podcast today, unfortunately. And apparently he's <laughs> celebrating one Finn Russell making the Scotland um, squad for this weekend. I, I do have to correct you, Tyler. I came fifth, by the way, from the first week, and you've oh, got 18. Humble apologies. So. <laughs> but how, how, does Finn, apologies. how does Finn not make the squad? And it was on form, and I say that with inverted commas floating around everywhere. Wasn't it? Didn't Townsend say it was on form that he didn't make it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has been shooting the lights out, but I just wanted to confirm. No, it, it was form, but Hastings uh, got a head injury. I, I think it's a head injury. The way his head rockets it back, uh, I think that's pretty much why he's out. Hastings was on his way to making me millions of points in the fantasy week, eh? I just want to say. <laughs> I was jumping up and down, and then you just brought me back down to earth with a thud saying, well, he's been taken off at halftime. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, he got absolutely <laughs> smashed. His head rockets it back. I think he got a concussion without getting his head knocked. I think that's exactly a recoil, what a recoil concussion. Yep. Exactly that. Welcome to, welcome to playing Fiji. <clears throat> <laughs> if ever there was an <laughs> advert, that's it. Yeah, Sean, Jared, we will talk about some of your um, fantasy exploits a little bit later. But let's start off how we always start off with our first phase, and this one was, you know, yeah, a little bit tongue in cheek from the weekend's events for the Springboks, but. What, talk about the worst kick you've ever seen from a teammate. Sean, you've got one for us? <laughs> oh, my mate, Robbie Truman, is, uh, <clears throat> I actually wasn't playing the game. I was actually, funny enough, taking some photos, and I, I've got photos of it. But Robbie is Robbie's a, is a hooker. He's a, he's a damn good hooker. Um, and we're, we're playing at Hammies, and he, he's a hooker that definitely fits into, uh, into the Skulk Brits mold. Like, he's quite a playmaker. Uh, he's quite quick. He's not your, he's not like a, a big bulky kind of hooker, you know? And, uh, and Robbie often finds himself in the back line uh, at 10 as most forwards do, but he, Robbie's actually got a pass and a little bit of vision and a bit of pace. Anyway, we, I, I can't remember who we were playing, but um, I was sitting there, I was sitting there watching and I'd actually lined up here, taking a photo of him. He was like, what? We were 15, 20 meters away from the try line and the ball comes back and he's standing in the 10 channel and uh, he decides that it's time for a drop goal and he lines it up and the photo sequence I have, everything is no. perfect. I mean, you can just see the, the leg coming back, the head down, everything's sensational. <laughs> and the next photo sequence, he's making contact with the ball. It's out of this world. And somehow, I don't know how, how it changes, but poof, off to the right. And by to the right, I mean, <laughs> if the poles were two over, he probably still would have missed it. It was everything was like <laughs> sensational until you looked up afterwards and it went off almost for a throw-in. So anyway, yeah, Robbie <laughs> Truman, my man, <laughs> you're getting that on it today. <laughs> no, that is absolutely perfect, actually. And yeah, I, I I thought this would end in a in a sort of a uh, a good note, like Matt Dunning, in a sense, because he slotted oh. it even though he wasn't supposed to. <laughs> but yeah, he definitely just messed that one up. Jared, um, do you have a story for this? 
Yeah, so I'm going to go all the way back to the school days, and uh, it was actually one of my first rugby matches. So only three years ago for you? Then. Yeah, yeah. It's much longer, <laughs> funny enough, Sean. About <laughs> nine years ago, even longer, man. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it was my first or second rugby match, and um, yeah, at an English school, most guys, it was their first or second rugby match kind of thing, and uh this one guy, he had played um, rugby in primary school and like he, he was um, our fly half. And yeah, he, before the game, he's like, no guys, like if we're in trouble in our 22, just pass me the ball and I'll kick it out. Everyone's like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so under, under, under the posts, he's under the, our, our post and um, the scrum off throws the ball back to him and he suds this thing. He kicks it as hard as he can. But all he got was heart, and the ball just went straight up for an up and under. And as he saw it coming back down, he was about to catch it, and some lock as he touched it smothered him. Got back up, picked up the ball, and scored. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the worst thing. Oh, that's the best. The worst thing is that about 10 minutes later, again, we're in our 22. This time he gets a bit closer to the touchline um, when he receives the ball. But again, he, he just scars it. Everything just scars it. And the <laughs> opposition winger catches it and just runs straight past him and scores. And the poor Oak he starts crying after the game. And yeah, oh. the, some of us were just laughing during the game. But the poor man's in tears. <laughs> wow. Oh, shame. No, mine actually involves me. And I think also to relate it to the Rob Valentin, I mean, to um, this weekend's games. I don't know if you saw in the last 10 minutes of the Wallabies-France game, um, the ball, I think, ricocheted from, I think, Reese Hodge trying to have a kick. And then it, the ball went to Rob Valentini and then he cleared it and it went absolutely nowhere. And this happened pretty much the <laughs> similar, similar circumstances to me. I was in the back line for uh, a line-out move. And then or not a line move, we're going to sort of chase up and chase an up and under. The ball somehow rolls to me because the fly-off got charged down. And I was like, okay, I, I guess I have to kick this. Got and this. I, I just, this. <laughs> yeah, oh, it comes off the side of the boot. I mean, I'm lucky it didn't go backwards, but yeah, it sort of at least trundled and bounced out. So at least I didn't have to go all the way. I mean, yeah, the six meters of, of gain that I made, it didn't have to go all the way back, but I think it went more cross than it went forward um, in making that <laughs> kick. And yeah, I, I, I always feel sorry for the likes of Valentini. I think also Tag Byrne also had a kick like that. Um, but obviously Byrne is, you know, a lot better <laughs> at that than, than, than I was. And yeah, when you make kicks like that as, as a forward, you try to convince the rest of the backline or the rest of the team that guys, I had to. And yeah, you <laughs> had to take that opportunity to make that kick. <laughs> I, I, I've, I just realized I've just shared yeah. an, another one into our group, but uh, I, I think Sean will remember this one from the Champions Cup and seeing Paselli Yato absolutely airable. Like he got the ball on the touchline, charging <laughs> away, and he tries to kick, but he misses the ball completely. <laughs> and uh, I mean, Paselli Yato. <laughs> he, 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 Yato is like a very talented um, back rower. And a Fijian back rower that could easily play center. And I think he's even played center for Fiji before. And just to see him do that, I can't remember who was on commentary that day, but they, I think it might have been David Flapman. 
but he he could not stop laughing. I think uh, once this like he only stopped <laughs> laughing once the scrum was completed. <laughs> oh my word! I just realised I'm the only backline here, backline player out of all of us. I mean, and I say backline player like loosely. I mean, whether I played or not, so this is irrelevant. I once played on the side of the scrum, but uh, sheesh, eh? I'm going to have to fly the flag high. I didn't realize. So yeah, what's sure. our rugby bits 15 here? So, Sean, you played what in the midfield or wing? I played in the flank. Yeah. Cooks was at lock. Jared, yeah, I think I, you're also in the flank, right? Yeah, I played no. lock, flank. Jared's a hooker. Yeah, I, everywhere. I was a rubbish hooker, hey. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. Did you say you played lock? Yeah, I went to English school, Sean. Like, we, we weren't a uh, humongous pack, man. I've seen, I was... Mate, I've seen... <laughs> dude, I, I've, I've literally seen, like, garden gates bigger than you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeez. Lock. Who yeah, was lifting you? Yeah. Did you? Did they lift you? Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> they had to. Someone had to throw yeah, they you, had man. to. Yeah. Um, what is it like? Were you, did you, were you like, was there a line I call on you or did they just miss you? Were they just like, no, I generally used to call eight. the line outs. Oh, so you were calling on yourself all the time then? Damn straight. Safe option. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. I put I tell you, I tell you, to shame, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. I tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind, uh, Tyler, you can play uh, on the one flank and we put Cooks on the blind side. While we're talking about flank, hey, um, Tala, I saw you shared it as well, but um, Fiji's um, winger, who, I can't remember which winger it was. I think it might have been um, uh, the, the 11 winger. I can't remember his name for a second, but he had to pack down uh, mm-hmm. uh, at a scrum and just absolutely forgot to uh, get off of the scrum once the scrum <laughs> off picked it up, <laughs> ran in a trap. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you know what I was thinking, uh, he, yeah? He was given no, he was given the orders think, by his prop. He's like, you get your shoulder in there and you scrum. And he, he was he like, was okay, scared, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting stuffed up by this. <laughs> and you can even see um, the, the number eight run off the back and trip over his feet because he should have moved already. <laughs> oh, shit. Brilliant. So I, I had to, uh, we were playing a preseason game, mate. Eh? Talk about like being on the side of the scrum. So um, we were playing a preseason game against uh, Milneton, against Unimol. And I was on the bench um, for the first side. Um, but there were plenty of injuries, so that's why I was on the bench. And <clears throat> I eventually, uh, I eventually got a like basically bum flight around my coach, and, and eventually got put on. But we got put on, and we had an we had an injury in the pack, and we had a scrum like five meters out from the try line, and we needed to try to win. And they were like, "Cool, you need to go like pack down on on the flank." And I was like, "Oh, okay, I can do this. What do I need to do?" They're like, "Just." push and don't stop i was like cool got this so they are getting set up i'm getting like mentally psyched out like the front rows go down and the locks go in and I'm like cool i got this and i like bind down and i and i feel this hand and uh we like one of the guys who was playing um is quite a like very well-known club rugby player and and stuff around cape town wayne mealing he played for for false bay and hammies and i think he played for ntk for for a while big guy and also someone you'd never ever want to mess with ever and I felt his hand on my back and, and I'm, his hand was like across like the width of my back and he just pulled me out and he pulled me out. And what I now realize and didn't realize then because I was just like retarded, like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. He pulled me out 
And he just looked at me and he moved me onto the flank and I'd bind down in the eighth man position where he was. And he's like, this is my place. And he literally just picked me up and then jammed me into that space where I was and kind of put me into place like I was a Lego man. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay. And after that, after the game, he just looked at me and he says, if I ever see you near the scrum again, I swear to God, I'll knock you out. And I was like, yep, that's right. I'll play on the back line for the rest of my life. Done. Fair enough. And I'll tell you, as a forward, hey, when you get that opportunity to play number eight and you don't often get to play number eight and somebody else goes and packs down there, you, you are livid. <laughs> like, I can understand his reaction completely. Like, when you get that chance to play number eight, oh, that's, that's that your was... position. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hallowed, that jersey, that position. It's, well, yeah, that's why he, he so many guys specialize as a number eight. <laughs> He's, he, was, he dictated everything. Yeah, I think... The yeah, I think there's a lot of nice stories from from cooking, and uh, usually when bad kicks are made, it's usually the forwards that do it. Um, let us move on to uh, you know the 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 not so fun part of this podcast, which is analyzing the Springboks' loss to Ireland, nineteen points to sixteen at the Aviva Stadium. Um, I think before we get into the game and before we delve into some of the the mistakes that the Springboks made, Sean, let's start with just. You know, uh, uh, let's start with Ireland and just complimenting what Ireland did well in the game. So, what what do you, what is one thing that you that you really um, uh, loved about the uh, the Irish performance on on Saturday? I I I will tell you something though. Uh, Jimmy O'Brien playing outside centre on his debut for a guy who's not really an outside centre impressed me. Um, <clears throat> he uh, he handled himself pretty well. Um, I think uh, Ireland were probably up for it. I think where they realized they were probably going to win the game and or, sorry, being with a chance of winning or, or, or really upset the situation was at scrum and more, and they did it. Um, they were really impressive there. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion around the legality of it, and truth is, is most of us don't really know... <laughs> All, all the stuff that goes on there. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I was super impressed with the way they did that. I think Johnny Sexton had a superb game. Um, we're so used to seeing a different style of game from him, but uh, he really impressed me and maybe I don't give him enough credit because I mean, I know he's a classy player. Maybe I just don't like him enough to give him the credit that he deserves most of the time. But uh, he really helped move things around, dictate how our play should be and stuff. And I think, in all Ireland were a lot calmer. They really trusted what they needed to do. They, they were never, didn't have their heads in the game. They were never worried about anything. And I think that was the most impressive part, of, part about it. But having said that is we also didn't do well enough to put them under pressure to change that process. And Jared, on your side? Well, yeah, it's it's tough after a loss, but uh, fair play to Josh van der Fleer for earning his bolt-on bonus. I thought that was a hell of a finish that he made off of the back of the mall. And it was actually one that the box um, defended really, really well. So for him to borrow through like that and, yeah, like I say, get his bolt-on bonus, fair play. Um, outside of that, I think Sean's right. Uh, Sexton had a great game. Um, yeah, Peter Omani was also quite good, I thought. Um, he, he just seems to win big moments, Omani. Um, I think overall the, the Irish uh, fronted up physically, like South Africa went through a lot of phases in their 22 and 
they just managed to hit guys back, hit guys back. Every now and then they made a telling tackle. Um, I think a guy like James Ryan had a really, really great game. And uh, yeah, I think he's had that uh, almost, it's not his second season, so you can't really call it second season blues, but he's had like this struggle with injuries and just like flat form where he hasn't um, really stood out and taken his opportunities. And this past weekend, he was back up to some of playing some of his best rugby. So overall, I think it was a good performance from Ireland. Um, good pack performance in particular and uh yeah shout out to jimmy o'brien um it's insane to play 15 minutes on your test debut against the world champions out of position and still have the nerve to um to calmly put hansen away like he did and he timed that perfectly yeah, I thought, I, I love the point on Jimmy O'Brien. I thought he was definitely one of those people that was getting the Leinster boost of just being a okay rugby player. But now, because he plays for Leinster, he gets picked into the Irish team. I very much am happy to say that he's <laughs> he's a lot better than that. He did really well in his debut, like Sean said, out of position. Sean? Yeah, sorry, man. I, d- I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, but now that I'm speaking... Jared and I were chatting a little bit, uh, a little bit offline um, on Friday, and I tell you, I was shocked that they called him into the match day twenty three when um, when they lost the twelve. I really was, and uh, for me, James Hume can count himself exceptionally unlucky. Um, Hume would have been able to fill, fill in at, at twelve or thirteen and probably played better, which is a little bit scary. But the thing that upsets me the most is it's almost like that performance from Jimmy O'Brien has put James Hume further down the ladder of 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 midfielders to pick because they can just move ring rows to 12 and uh, and Jimmy O'Brien can be on the bench and cover uh, fullback, wing, and outside center. So, yeah, I, I really, like I was bummed. I really wanted to see Hume get a, get a look in. I really rate him. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant player. Um, and now I, I, I really hope that his, his international future isn't put further on hold because of this. I, I think they would have uh, gone yeah. with McCloskey and uh, Ringrose playing a full 80. So I, I don't think he would have gone off, uh, got on. So I think they were looking more at uh, backing up a guy like Hugo Keenan, who was a bit iffy for the game, whether he was going to be able to play a full 80 mm. and, uh, then they could have just moved uh, Hansen to fullback. So I think the, that was the thinking there. And I think uh, Humes is still mm. well within that mm. conversation as a center. I hope so, mate. I really do. Yeah. yeah, but he did really well. Yeah, small hot take. I just want you guys to quickly debate. Doris van der Fleer Omani, best lustria in the world? No, I'm, I'm not biting. <laughs> no. Listen, Doris, is, Doris uh, again, he's probably an, another player that I've, like, I, I would not have picked Doris at eight. I would have picked Jack Conan at eight. Um, Doris was flippant brilliant. But we must also understand is that players um, will most certainly lift their game to another level when they face the Springboks, especially like the Springboks and the All Blacks. We, we have that about ourselves, that aura around us. Even though Ireland are number one in the world, they, we, we, we definitely, they definitely are worried about us. 
So I think it was a great, I think it was a great battle, but I thought Doris was flipping good. I, I really thought we would, we would work that loose trio. And I, I, I'll be honest on any other day, we probably would like we had a couple of guys that were iffy. So yeah, no, is, is the answer. That's not the best Tala, loose trio I, in the world. I, I, th- I think if you're talking on form, Argentina's does a very good uh, job of, of contending those three, um, especially after Ooh. this weekend. That's not bad. Yeah. I tell you, Not bad at the, all. the Pumas, they are disrespected daily, daily. People talk about like World Player of the Year. They talk about like best loose trio, best this, best that. You hardly ever, ever hear anyone refer to an Argentinian player or loose trio unless they have played that weekend. Like if Argentina didn't play this weekend, Buffelli wouldn't even get a mention if you're talking about the best back three in the world. You know what I mean? Like it. Like, what more do they have to do? They are having the season, like they're having one of the best seasons ever and they love playing away from home, which is so opposite to everything almost ever in the world. Like no one, I don't think I've ever known a side that loves to play away from home as much as Argentina do. And, and this is leading into a World Cup, which incidentally, I think Argentina are like historically the best like the fighting outside of their weight category team ever at World Cup time, you know, like consistently. Yeah, I can't wait to get into the Argentina side of things late in the podcast. Now let's get into dissecting the Springbok performance and, and looking at some of the things that didn't go well for, for the Springboks. I think the only place to start is the Valimsa 10 um, situation and debate. Um, <clears throat> we did discussed this on, on our WhatsApp group on, on, on Sunday after the game, and there was definitely some interesting um, takes from, from everyone. But Jared, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, I think it's quite clear that Willems didn't really have a great, or didn't have a great game at 10. And yeah, there's some things, especially with his place kicking and his kicking out of hand that, that didn't go well, and some of his option taking too. Yeah, is it a mistake to pick him at 10? Is it something that we have to... Yeah, how, yeah, is it a case of do we make the best out of it, especially for this tour? Do we give, you know, we'll talk about selections for France later. But yeah, if we do make the best out of it, how, 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 what's the best way to try and use, you know, the talent that Willemser has and the form that he has and use it positively at 10? Yeah, um, I, 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 I. I'm still, I'm now back on the fence with Willemse being a 10 after going into bat for him all last week and saying that uh, he could be a genuine option going forward for the Springboks. So I'm back on the fence where I'm not too sure anymore. Um, and yeah, that's, I probably shouldn't be as reactionary as that. But the the game, he just didn't take um, control of things when the books were really on top and we could have really gone to town on Ireland and taken them apart. So, yeah, I think the best way to to use him is to make sure that we've got um, guys around him that can can assist him with the kicking. And it's not just kicking from, um, the, from the tee. I think kicking out of hand, we were off, off song yesterday, oh, on Saturday. So I, I think he does need assistance there. And... Yeah, we saw how uh, our attack improved with uh, Villy on the pitch. And I think that just works so nicely with uh, Willemse. So 
he sort of needs he needs some help, especially when playing ten. And uh, I, I just don't think he got it, especially from Jaden Hendricks. So I thought it was quite an average game from Hendricks. So after having such a good year for the Springboks, so yeah, I, I think nine and ten were both failing us. And yeah, it was also weird to see that, uh, like. We, we could see that he was struggling and instead of getting like help around him, it's almost like Colby took over at Flahoff instead. So, so yeah, I think going forward, I, I don't think it's a bad idea if we try, um, give Philipsa another go on this tour, maybe another two goes at Flahoff on this tour. Um, cause yeah, we, we, we do want to use him at fullback, uh, at some stage again. And if he is going to be that, um, fullback, fly-half, inside center for our bomb squad at the World Cup, let's say we're moving him back onto the bench, you do want him playing um, fly-half in a crunch test match. And against Ireland, he he flakes a bit, but there was a lot that he can take away from that game and learn from that game. Sean, you mentioned on Twitter about um, the carrying stats for for Damien Willemser and what and and the, the concern that you had there. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, simply put, uh, you can't have your fly half carrying. What was it? Eleven times in a game. Either way, he was um, he was the highest carrier of the ball in the Test match, and he even beat Damien Delendi. Now. The way I look at it, and I know it's not an exact science, but if you carry the ball 11 times as a fly half, that means roughly 22 times of the game, 22 phases of the game, you don't have a fly half distributing the ball. Now, that's not acceptable for me. Um, it, it's been a bit of a, 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 a sort of a, an issue for me for a while. When, when Damien Willems was playing fly half uh, for the Stormers, when Delendi was still there even like back then, he was, it was doing the same thing. It was very similar. And I, I was just like, you can't, you can't be carrying as much. I, we all want to fly off to play to the line and try and do something. Um, Andre Pollard's very good at it, um, but he doesn't do it all the time. Now, it seems to be Willems's default setting. It, it's something that he does. So using that as, as a, at, at 12 is a great shot. Using that 15 is not the worst shot, but I think at 15 you have more space and he will then distribute more. So we need to now work on what we've got to do in order to make Willemse feel as though he does not need to be carrying so much. And that's got to come from his nine and his 12 and the other carriers and perhaps the depth at which he's playing. Because if the uh, midfield, uh, sorry, if the defense are putting him under pressure, then maybe he, he gets into that, that sort of mindset. I don't feel for one second that at 12, he wasn't given that option because the one thing about Damien Delendi, he carries exceptionally well. He makes meters, he gets front football. Um, he, he, he's a great option there. He's solid. He's great. He's got a calm head on his shoulder. He can distribute if need be. He can kick, he can do all sorts of stuff. I think, Visa didn't probably have as impactful game as a carrier as we expected and agree. I think Jaden Hendrickson wasn't his usual self, but I don't, uh, Hendrickson didn't kick a lot and that is not, we, we changed our game plan and I don't, I don't feel that Willemse carrying so much was part of the game plan, but I just, we can't have that. You, you can't have your 10. If he comes off the bench and plays 10, so if he started at 15 and came on at 10, 
and he was looking for those. We've seen it in the past. It worked for us. When he did well for us in the rugby championship, starting at 10, he didn't play this style of game. So why did he and or we change that setup? And I think it is more an individual thing. I don't think it was our plan. I think that he got into a situation where he felt that that was what he needed to do at that time. We need to alleviate that. So uh, I think that is literally the only thing we need to fix about his game. It's the only thing we need to change because we know what he's got and what he can give. And I just want him to maybe either be deeper or maybe someone else take, um, take a load off a little bit more, but we, we can't have it. If, if that's how he's going to play, we can't have him playing a 10 uh, as a starting fly half. Yeah, it's tough, and especially on a rewatch, it's tough to see Damien as a viable long-term fly-half option. And obviously, I think he's being primed to be someone that can step in as a second-choice fly-off if something obviously happens to Pollard, and that's fine. And I think Willemse has at least the, the talent to do it, and I think his game lends to it more than, say, Francois Stein. That's not saying too much. But, you know, there's just certain instincts that he has in his game, and the reason why he didn't work out as a 10 at, at the Stormers is because of the things that we're discussing now. So it feels like we're in a time machine in the late 2010s, early 2020s, when we're like, oh, Willem, so he could be a fly half if you give him time. Or, you know, he doesn't, yeah, he's not a he's not the best decision maker. He tries to do things by himself. And, you know, that works at Inside Center when he's sharing the decision-making load with someone else. And to an extent, even having Vili LaRue onto the, on the field, I think, Obviously, he's like basically our fly off in attack. And we saw how well Willemsa played there. And yeah, well, we probably can talk about Vili LaRue and his influence in the second half now. But, you know, it was a world of difference between the the game when Willemsa was, I mean, when Vili LaRue was on the field versus when he was off. And you can see, you saw, I think, the inexperience of that 10, 9, 10, 15 um, combination on Saturday. Hendrickson, I think, has 11 caps, at least according to my Wikipedia search right now. Willems is on 24, Colby is on 21. And I think you saw that maybe lack of experience, and especially for Willems and Colby, lack of experience in those decision-making places in that they weren't able to do to make those decisions. And although Damon is great and he had a really good game, he's not a 12 that can step in at 10, really. He's not really that like second fly-half type of 12, like you know, an Aaron Major and Owen Farrell. So it's limited what Damien can do, DLND can do in a situation where his flyer is struggling. So, yeah, I don't think the Springbok coaches did well to set him up for success. But I think in the first place, like, you know, Phillips are being on such hot form. Yeah, I when I make sort of the 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 the, the losses and, and and you know the, the gains and the losses of playing Williams at Flower versus playing him either at center or fullback, I think it's you'd rather play him at center or fullback and and trust one of the other flyoff options in, in the squad. Yeah, it might be, you know, very tough to do that against France or whatever, but you know, you don't want a situation also where Willemsa almost has to go back a few steps in like his form and confidence that he's had because yeah, you know, yesterday just things got bad and from bad to worse and especially once he missed that first penalty i think his game went down um, his game and decision making went down i i have a couple of questions and a couple of points um so it's great that you highlight uh, the 9 10 and 12 in the inexperience um it's also important to note is the 10 sorry your 9 10 and 15 and the inexperience 
it's also important to note that the 10 and the 15 were essentially, well, not essentially, they were playing out of position. So, you know, they, they form part of our spine and it's obviously very important for them to, to be a little bit more involved or, be, or better involved. The other thing, uh, it's a question um, to both of you, um, Jared, maybe you can, you can jump in, but I, like, do, I don't think that, that this is the end of the road for Willem at 10. I think he does have the goods to be a 10. He is a completely different 10, but I don't think we can, um, I don't think we can, like we need someone that's a really hard worker. We really need someone that does the grunt work and our midfield is doing that. So if we take one of our, if we take one of our, our midfield out and we put Damien Willemser there, he's not that super hard worker. He's always trying to do something every single time he touches the ball. So I'm a little bit nervous with that. But my thing, my question is, is do you think that this is the end of the road for Willemser at 10 as a starting Springbok fly half option? Not as someone who can play uh, play 23 and come on at 10 with 20 minutes to go or start at 15 and fill in at 10. I'm talking about uh, a, an option as a starting Springbok fly half. Do you think that this is the end of the road? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it is. Um, I, I, I think it's a, a bump in the road, but. Um... I, I don't think it's the the end of the road for him at ten. I definitely think that uh, the way Shark wants to evolve our attack um, does require a more um, extravagant ten, if I can put it that way, or extravagant talent and um, somebody that can pull off passes that Andre Pollard just can't do on a regular basis. And yeah, outside of that, you, you're looking at Yankees. We still don't know what's happening with the Yankees. So whether it's one of the other youngsters that comes in or an inexperienced um, test level fly off like a Libok, um, that that's another way of going for it. But uh, I do think Willemse will get a few more starts, especially under Ninava at ten. The the one thing I do want to ask: um, it, did was Chess and Colby really played out of position? Like he he's played fullback for the Stormers, so. Uh, during his career there, he's gone to, uh, when he went to Toulouse, he played a hell of a lot of uh, fullback. And only once Thomas Ramos sort of came along did um, he really move to the wing. And then Ramos would also finish games out at Flaoff as well move, with uh, Colby moving to fullback. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think I agree with that, um, with that sort of, um, mindset that's that's been going around. I think he's played like forty five percent of his rugby okay. throughout his career at fullback. Yeah, go for it. I have a question. If you think, if I ask you, what position does Chesson Colby play? What's your answer? He's an outside back. No. What what position does he play? When he plays on the field, <laughs> when when when, when, when you put him on the team sheet, what position does he play? Outside back. Right wing. <laughs> No, he plays right I, I, I get what you're saying, the, okay, the, but if you so, look so, at like... And, and Willems has played if Jordan 10 Lama, Stormers if, for two seasons, so is he, is he, is he a 10? We're talking yeah, about him like he's Willem playing out of position. Willems is a fair yes. one, I think, but uh, Colby's played 45%, a good 45% of his career at fullback, starting matches at fullback. No, no, no I'm, ways. I, I'm going to look it up now. <laughs> it's fine. I'm, we, you and I, I know exactly what we're doing after this. Will, Will, there's, Will, I also go Hunter. There's no ways that he has started 45% of his games in France. Are you talking France and Stormers? 
uh, career-wise? Career. So yeah. we kind of got to go back. Uh, there's no ways that he... St- so he did not start a lot of games for the Stormers at 15. Not a lot. There's, I reckon there was maybe 10% of those games he started at 15. I'm guessing here, but okay. I don't recall that. At Toulouse... I reckon maybe 20% of his games just started at 15. There was one season he played there a fair bit, and he was there for three seasons, right? Mm. Yeah. There's, no. I'm recalling on this now. As being, being, <laughs> being the highest-ranked fantasy player amongst us, I'm going to pull rank and say you're wrong. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I'm third. I mean, what, there was no ways I wasn't going to milk this for all it's worth. I mean, it's only <laughs> going to be around for a week. I don't know what's happening on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I could be, I could be languishing down the bottom there with Cooks again. Um, so <laughs> I've got, I've got to coming. work this. It's got to be worth something. It's got to be worth weight somewhere, you know? Um, just to quickly answer your question, then transition. I think the Willems, I think, I, 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 what will the coaches do? They'll continue with it. I think they obviously are still yes. determined in seeing him as a fly half. And I look, think he's a 10 this I, weekend, to be honest. It sounds like he will be. Look, we'll talk mm. about team selection for, for Saturday, but my best guess is Willems at 10, Lebok at 23. But yeah, I think the issue becomes that, um, you know, number one, it's not the best use of his skills. It's not the best use of his talent. Like we, I mean, I, I think we still had the, or we just started the podcast when, Willemso is being transitioned out of 10 for the Stormers and playing in the midfield. And I think we already had the conversation there that like, I was disappointed that like we weren't giving him time to settle at 10 and to make those decision-making. And I think in future, he might be a great 10, maybe like by the 2027 World Cup. But, you know, his best, the best things about Willemso are is his ability to, you know, use his footwork in contact to get around defenders at, at close at close quarters and then to get his arms out and around for, for an offload and to bring other players in. And, you know, he has obviously a great short and long passing game and the short and long kicking game too. And he just wasn't able to, he's not able to do that as well at 10 because 10, you know, you asked to pass more, you asked to kick more at 10 and you asked to set up the, the attacking structures. And the shapes and the pictures that the Springbok backline showed when they had the ball in attack, and I mean, you know, in the first phase, there was a lot of one-off running, but there's sometimes when the backline did get the ball and, oh, the shapes are ugly, man. It was really, really bad. <laughs> and it's not just Willemsa that does that. I know it's not all on him, but I think it's no coincidence that when LaRue comes onto the field, you know, the, the Springbok backline, the Springbok attack looks a lot better. Like there's one, um, I think near the end of the first half, I don't know where Creel was trying to stand. He was way too shallow. Damien was also way too flat. So Willems' pass wasn't good to him. And Colby, who he wasn't really an option in, in that in that um attacking um like uh formation. So already for the Irish defense, they know it's either Willems are gonna carry it up himself or the ball's gonna go to Damien, and Damien has to probably juggle a little bit to get the ball. So it's things like that that we need to work on. Um and I would personally only, I would basically, if it was up to me, I would shelve the Willemser thing at 10. We know he can do it if, if we need him until basically the right World Cup and basically to use this timeline to try and get our, you know, at least in the coach's perspective, the third choice fly off. And at least in my perspective, what maybe should be the second choice fly off in Lubbock and see 
you know, can he be a second or third choice fly or do we need to find Alton Yankees a, a club um, really quickly? Sean, I'll have your final point and then we'll move to the next thing. Oof, can't move on so quickly. Um, <laughs> okay, so I, I agree. I agree with you in that him playing at 10 against an Irish defense is probably not the best use of his skill set. How are we going to change what we need to do in order to best use his skill set? Because that's obviously the obvious question. And I think, and I'm talking about at 10. The other thing is, so that's more a rhetorical question and we can discuss it maybe, maybe later. But the other thing is, I'm, do you think that it's a realistic option? And I'm by no means um, downplaying uh, Lubbock and his skill or anything, but do you think it's a realistic option for the Springboks that we will be taking an inexperienced, because there's no matter what, how many games Liverpool plays from now until the World Cup, he'll be inexperienced. Do you think that there's a way where we take him to the World Cup as a second choice 10? Because the general conversation around that whole thing and that whole feel under Rassi Rasmus ahead of 2019 was that he won't take an inexperienced 10. And that's why Willemse went not as a 10, but as a utility back. Um, so that's my, that's my only, my only concern. Um, uh, and, and that, but that should also not be the reason why we are not playing Lubbock, you know? So I think it's a double-edged sword about where we want to be. And this all ties down into the games we've got left and how we landed up in the situation. And I really feel that the, the Lions tour is actually such a bad thing for us in that we not only lost out a year and a half of, of rugby because of lockdowns and all that sort of shit, but we also lost out a six months of rugby because we were playing the Lions. And the Lions was not a time for us to test or check out anything. So we lost a hell of a lot because of that. So it actually turns out that the Lions to, is detrimental to our, our future, So um, which is quite interesting. But it's really hard. Like The Springbok coaching staff are definitely trying to do stuff they're trying to make up these games they're trying to work on on situations get bigger squads and everything but yeah to go back to my question do you think that it's a realistic option thinking that Lubbock can go to the world cup as our second choice fly yeah look probably it's it's closer to no than it is to yes at this point i mean there's literally yeah. only um what unfortunate just a quick maths button eight to nine tests i think before the the before the world, world cup if we yeah, if we include warm-up games, I think we have two warm-up games, four rugby championship games, and then these three tests remaining. So at best, Lubbock hopefully plays all nine games and then we're there. Like, But, you know, depending on the Yankees situation, there's a crisis brewing because we need to get someone <laughs> to be a second and or third choice fly half for, for the Springbok. So is it Lubbock? Maybe is it Horson? We'll see on Thursday. But like someone needs to step into that role, even if it's oh, if it's Alton as well. Because if there's a situation where Yankees doesn't play a, another season of rugby, there's it's almost going to be negligent to bring him to the World Cup. So we need yeah. that option. And I'm happy that Willems is at least one of the three options. And we've seen in the Australian Argentina games that he can do it. And I would prefer him to be doing it like at a limited like. 30 minutes like if Pollard is enjoying the game yeah yeah but I I just want to say for the record I really do feel that Alton Yanchis is not out of the picture 
I really, mm-hmm. I really feel that the door is not completely closed for him, but there's a lot of factors resting on it. I, I for one, would like to see him back in the mix, and I think the Springbok, if if everything goes right, not just his gameplay, but if everything, if he mends and and fixes everything that he needs to fix with the people he needs to fix, um, in the Springbok side of things, and his personal life and all that sort of jazz, and if he becomes again the right person. I I I don't think we'd do horribly to take him to the World Cup. It would alleviate a lot of stress. But uh but yeah. And also, you know, you talk about those test matches. Um there's going to be minus one test match because I I think Willems is starting. So Libok's not going to get a chance um to start at 10. So he's only going to be playing eight if he's going to start anyway. The, those comments from Rusty are also like a perfect. Right? Sorry, man. Those Rus, uh, those comments from Rusty is also a perfect world. So when he was saying that, he had Yankees, Pollard, and probably Mornay staying to choose from as well. So two of those options are currently off the cha- table, or, or three of those options are off the table at the moment. So he's he's going. Uh, Nino is going with what he can. So I think we could go with the inexperienced flower up to the World Cup. And it's just because of oh, how the, the cards have fallen. I want to talk about Mornay. So Mornay Stan is retired. And we would you we could do a lot worse than taking Mornay Stan to the World Cup. I if we are gonna send a, an SOS to Mornay Stan, there's no way we're doing it in November. He will, but why? He doesn't want to travel so much, he doesn't want to be away from the family and everything. Are we going to make him have that conversation with his wife and, and, and the kids and everything and say, right, for another year I'm going to be out the mix? Because that's going to be challenging. I reckon if we're going to make that call, we have one chance to do it because he will say yes, but say yes once. And that mm. once, if we need him, has to be for the World Cup. We know what we're going to get out of him. So I, I think that is probably secretly being sat in the back. If, if, if we ask him, he'll, he'll come, uh, but we can't ask him in November and then expect him to sit with us the whole way. It kind of defeats the object. So I think we have one chance at it and we must keep it as long as possible. Let's move to the goal kicking. Another point of discussion and obviously linked to the Willemsa thing is the fact that, yeah, I mean, with, with, um, with, with no Pollard in the team, we don't really have a 80% goal kicker in the team if, if someone like Mani Lubok isn't chosen. Jad, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, how do we fix this? And especially if we've just talked about Lubok probably being in, maybe in the match 23 only at, 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 uh, on the bench um, for France. Are we going to have the sort of lotto roulette thing that we had with Willems and Chesen Colby? What do we do here? <laughs> because I mean, yeah, you as an international team, you don't want to go into a match where you're missing kicks. That you know there was eighty six percent success rate in the one kick that Colby missed, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I, th- I think they have to have got a consulting coach in at the, uh, for for the kicking, or that all the players must have really worked on it this week. Like I, I know a lot of consulting work for uh, goal kicking actually doesn't even happen with the coach there. So somebody like Flock Saliers can do that kind of work um, remotely. Braun from Stratton did it with uh, Matt Gitto and Quay Cooper back in the day. So hopefully there is something going on um, and they are getting some adjustments because the way they were striking the ball, it's it's not, it doesn't look comfortable at all. So 
yeah, hopefully they they've they put in, in the hard yards this week and really put in um their work in. And when you look at a guy like John Cooney, the way he's speaking about goal kicking on Twitter and that kind of thing, just to go check out his Twitter profile is awesome. But uh, it, it's a lot to do with like the mental challenge of overcoming your doubts as you're about to kick and just remembering or going through your paces. So yeah, um, they have to, I th- I think if we go in with a similar lineup that we had against Ireland, we're going to have to trust um, Bilimsa with the with the T and just back him. I was very surprised that uh, he didn't have another shot at goal after his um, hook, and it had to have been his decision. I don't see a captain pulling a kicker off of off of uh, taking shots at goal, so I think that was Bilimsa's call. I. I just want to just to highlight something. So Damien Willemser, and I'm talking um kick I'm talking kick um kicks at goal over a season period. So if if he, if people played in Europe, they would have played over two tournaments and all that sort of stuff. But Damien Willemser, he only really kicked for the Stormers in 2018, where he where the sample size was 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 fairly large uh was fairly large like over 30, I think, but he kicked it at 79%. In 2019, he kicked at hundred percent, but I mean, there was only, it was a handful of kicks. Other than that, he hasn't really kicked. And when he has kicked, he hasn't kicked exceptionally well, but the perception around Pollard being an 80% kicker is not true. I mean, it was in 2018 that he was a, in 2018, where he was kicking over 80% uh, for the season, the whole season, like club and, and country. And, other than that, there's been a couple of 79s, but 78s and 77s have, have been in the mix. So Pollard is also struggling a little bit. Um, you know, he's not as solid a kicker as we all believe him to be, or the perception is. We all know that when he's on song, if he kicks that first one, he'll kick them all day. It's just, it's a tough one, you know, but, but yeah. So Sean, I think you shared that um pick of um the 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 different kicking options. Um talk about quickly the likes of like Fafta Clark and Jaden Hendrickson and Cheslin Colby. Like what are their kicking successes and are they do they have a big enough sam- sample size? Yeah, just say uh, who who are you asking? So Colby, um Colby doesn't have a massive sample size. Um his kicking I can find out for you now. Who are the other guys you were talking about? Fuff and um Hendrickson. So um I can just give me a second here. So Colby, who uh, I can't I uh, can't find his actual kicking stats, but I can tell you that he hasn't he's landed one penalty goal this year, which we know about. Um, last year <laughs> he landed, he landed none. So I don't think he kicked last year, even for Toulouse and the year before he got a conversion and a drop goal. Um, but I'm not sure if he, I'm not sure how many attempts he had there. And, um, and, but one thing I know about Fuff though, Declack has kicked a fair whack. So we know that, that he can kick. I've seen him kick for, uh, for, um, for sale. Um, so again, I don't have his actual percentages just because of the way it's set up here, but he, like last year he kicked four conversions. So he kicked a fair amount last year 
in 2021, he didn't kick at all or he missed every one of them for what he did kick. And the year before that, also not a lot. So he, you know, so that's the thing. Like, to be fair, the, the stats that I'm pulling are not from like the Prem, the Prem Rugby Cup. Um, I don't have the stats for those, but I know that he started at Flaff in the Prem Rugby Cup a couple of times and kicked, which I don't have those details for. Okay. Well, yeah, so there will be a lot of arranging and probably a lot of kicking practice for, for, for everyone in this week. There might be a, even a kicking competition. Sean, I think another bugbear of yours that you've had for the for most of the season is our rolling mall and their lack of effectiveness in getting um, tries over. What's yeah, yeah, maybe explain what your issue there is. Well, so yeah, this is this is going to be a little bit controversial because I'm not. I'd prefer not to talk badly about people. Let me let me rephrase it. Um, it's not exactly the best way to go in it either way, but. I think um, I think the uh, we're realizing the importance of Matt Proudfoot. Um, Proudfoot is really um, I think that the way what we're doing now with our forwards and our malls, obviously we've been I wouldn't say we've been found out. We've obviously got a new set of eyes and a new set of plans, and we are they're picking us off. It is our strength, um, and um, obviously sides are hell of a focused on it because um defensively it it stops points and and scrum wise also it stops scoring opportunities for the Springboks. and and the thing is is i'm finding that we are and by no means an expert in in this field of rugby but i'm finding that we are not gaining what we used to gain at scrum and mall time and they are for me relatively easy fixes in that we haven't changed our personnel too much and the personnel that we have changed have are, are strong so why are we not doing better what is going on and why are is it is it our first game you know we the springboks historically struggle and historically i mean over the last few years our first game back after being off for a while even if it's a couple of weeks it's it's always shitty like we very seldom dominate our first game. We did in the rugby championship, but before that, like World Cup 2019, we didn't. Uh, um, the, the, uh, on Saturday, we didn't. The first game of, of November, we didn't play well. And uh, the first game of the Lions tour, we didn't play well. So um, like, is it part of that? But even during the course of it, we, we're struggling. It, takes, it seems like we take time to get going. We need that momentum. But why are we not really doing better we should be doing better malls with with the heights and with everything i understand that we we our, our line out throws have been iffy and that totally affects the setup but when we are when we are on target why are we not setting up better why are we allowing the opposition and foul play aside because i, I don't particularly want to dive into it like oh but look at that they're illegal we should be tight enough and better that we are overcoming that and that we are to use a rugby term that's used all the time is painting a better picture that we are winning that space and therefore whatever's happening should be illegal or that we are just dominating so i and it's something that we need it's a platform we need we base our everyone bases their attack off a set piece every single team in the world does it so we shouldn't be back backstepping in that space so one of the answers I'll, I will give you, Sean, is I think um, 
since the World Cup, um, our mall has been such a big talking point that teams do, let's say, 10% uh, more homework than they would have um, previously with our mall. So I think that uh, isn't helping either. Um, so, yeah, teams come in more prepared. And I think teams like New Zealand in particular are more um, inclined to give away penalties and to stop them all that way. So, yeah, you don't want to use those as excuses, but I think it is genuine things that uh, teams are more willing to give away penalty after penalty just to stop them all and hope that the Springboks will eventually try to play it out or, or do something different. Um, so that definitely comes into account. Um, the other thing that I will add is that um, Dwayne Vermeulen not being in the Springbok pack it does affect our more quite a bit, whether he's the man yeah, um, yeah. taking the ball in. But his, his body position um, as, the, as a front lifter or a back lifter on a, a more, so as, as he lifts, as he comes down, his ability to stay strong and not budge in that position is unmatched. Um, Jasper Visa has got a hell of a lot better at it. And um, someone like Quaha Smith is also improving a hell of a lot in that kind of situation. But uh, you know, ideally, if you want to set the perfect Springbok more, you throw Luit Diago or Evan Etzbeth, it doesn't matter between the two of them. And you've got um, Francois Herber lifting him in the front and you've got Dwayne Vermeulen lifting them at the back and you gain momentum with those two not giving an inch and not breaking away from Wirt. And I think teams are starting to find ways to get in between the jumper and the supports. So the one thing I would like to see is... working their way through. In working their way through or mm. just taking it down illegally. So the one thing I do would like to see is the Springboks um, not necessarily setting the more and going for those dummy plays like uh, we saw against Wales where Quaker Smith came charging off the back of the ball. Those do work, and Sia has done it quite a bit. But the other thing is just shifting the focus from the moors is as the guy goes up, you're throwing it down to another set pod and you're setting the more there. It's handy, it's risky, but I, I think they can give it a go um so yeah I, we do give it away sometimes about where we're going to jump and where we're going to set them all because um yeah that's where just wherever jasper vis is standing is probably where the ball is going to go for more so yeah maybe getting players into those positions and we might get a bit more other players in those positions we might get a bit more success there and also like i suppose well not suppose but we're up against, like, Ireland are, are, are probably one of the best scrummages and line-outs, more um, defenders and attackers. And France are exceptionally good at it, and so are England. So, to be fair, we are going to get a lot of our questions answered and we will learn a hell of a lot come the end of this tour. But we obviously don't want to be losing the whole way, you know? Mm. I'm more will get will get better. I can tell you that for sure. Um, there, there might be a few tricks up their sleeve that they holding on to till the World Cup, but I'm more will come right eventually. Sure, I think the I think Jared, I think you've nailed it because of with the Dwayne from point point, they call him Dale Stain, and with um, the I think teams are just preparing for our mall defense a lot better. But yeah, I think a big shout out, and I think you mentioned them earlier, Jared. 
Um, James Ryan had a fantastic game on Saturday, and he was the one who was sort of the chief um, mall destroyer for the team, and he used his long limbs to try and stop the mall and to get to the the, the player at the back and to to try and stop them. And then, um, yeah, Todd Byrne obviously helped out with that. Peter Omani was also great with that. James Ryan had that steal of the line out um, five meters out from the try line. Interfered with it's a bit um, arm a little bit, but he was able to 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 do that. So clearly, Paul O'Connell prepped his team really well for 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 Saturday, and they executed quite well. But yeah, like Jared said, maybe there are some tricks being kept for the World Cup. Hopefully, because I think it seems like we're so over reliant on the mall that we're not using that to our advantage and. The one play in the first half where we got a lot of meters was the one where Sia peeled off and he went looking for Jobek's finest and he gave him a nice sort of welcome truck. Um how yeah. Who's the family as he as he as he as he got to know him a little bit better. I have a conspiracy theory. So it's not a conspiracy theory. We very much changed our game plan. We the, we ran five or six phases in between the two 22s without kicking. We did our first box kick or kick from 10, uh, not defensively as an attacking option, which we normally do. We did our first one at nine and a half minutes or nine minutes, 50 seconds. That is like, that's massive. We changed our game plan. Ireland changed their game plan as game plan too. Ireland start halves exceptionally fast they like to stretch everyone left to right and they hold back off the um they try not they don't commit a lot of guys to the ruck and they double hit and try and cause turnovers which they did to us later in the game but they changed their game plan too and i think that that you're right tala i i feel that what had happened is si- the both the sides because we're facing each other in the world cup um need to just they they were hold not holding back they did something different they were like cool we're going to try a new plan and you bring it to us and it wasn't a negative plan it wasn't a way of not winning the game or or or, or holding back at all i think they were like we're going to try something different and we're going to see what it brings but we are not going to show a hand i i i think a year out from the world cup that's a massive massive reality i think we'll see it again against france I wouldn't be so surprised if France don't name a um, exceptionally strong side. Um, I know they're playing at home and they're they're a different they're a different baby. But I think it's very we're going to see a lot. We're going to see a lot of changes. We're gonna we're going to see a lot of different things. Yeah, I, I think this is an important tour for South Africa this November and um, getting to see a few things, especially against the strong opposition that we're coming up against and. Yeah, to really test ourselves. But gents, I can't believe we've gone over an hour in this podcast and we still have not spoken about the man of the match for the Springboks and that was uh, Jesse Creel. I think the only player that could really uh, fight him for that tag was Yabaneta Beth. But Creel was unreal again this weekend. Like he he actually had one of those games where he's... um, Twitter haters or Facebook haters couldn't actually um, hit back at him. Like, the, I know there some would have anyway, but the man was on fire. Like, I think 
Johnny uh, Johnny Sexton is going off to Mykonos now so that uh, he can relax in time for that Australia test and just get Jesse Creel out of his head because Creel, I think, still has a, a chip of his rib on his uh, shoulder from from Sexton's rib. So, man, an incredible game. That's uh, one kick through from Damien Dahlander that he got on the end of. That's Creel sure. all day calling that thing. That was fantastic. Yeah. His, his work to get back um, when Sheehan um, the try. Char- charged the yeah. ball down. He had to change the try, stop the try. His reactions there were just out of this world. And that's that's one of his biggest assets is his ability to um, adapt to whatever situation, like just so at the drop of a pin, he's he's there and he's made that decision. There was another tackle, I think it was uh, Mac Hansen, that he, he made a tackle on Mac Hansen that uh, was also just brilliant. He he did a very, um, a, th- a thing that I was praising Henko from Vague for a while back that uh, he's not committing to to the tackle and then drifting on, drifting on, and then when the opportunity's there, he strikes and he takes it. So, yeah, I, I think I got, my, got that out of the way, but uh, a good rant about uh, Jesse Creel and flipping great performance and yeah we can see him in the 13 jersey again i think uh i'm, I'm glad it wasn't me because i have been banging on about it and i know he has so uh, south africans have to hate on someone so that's the thing but the perception around creel does come from way back when and possibly heineke Meyer and that 2015 loss to japan and all that sort of stuff i for one hated the fact that he moved to 13. I thought it was going to take two. I, I didn't think it was a viable option. It probably wasn't a viable option in terms of the time it took, but where we are now, it's most certainly worked out. He is he is head and shoulders, and I talk about available 13s. Lukanya Am is not available, but Lukanya Am and Jesse Creel are right up there, super high. We don't have another player that can cover that 13 position remotely close to how Jesse Creel does. We've got two, three players that can attack really well at 13. We've got a lot of Rico Ioannis, you know, like, but we don't have a defending 13. We have guys, Henke van Veik is class. He, he's, he makes a lot of errors, but the, he, he, he sees that error that he's made early, he adjusts early, and then he's got the pace and the ability to fix it. Now that is something that's a natural and it's good, but he's not by far nowhere near being anywhere where Jesse Creel is. Jesse Creel gets hated on for um, you know not being a, as dynamic as Lukanya. There's no one on earth like that in the 13 jersey or any jersey that can play with that ability like Lukanya. So anyone you compare is not going to be good enough. So you guys need to get over it. But Jesse Creel defensively he's brilliant he's absolutely brilliant not he, people are worried about him like they worry they know they're not going to go through him and they now know that they can't really go past him and the, the way that he and the outside backs whether it's Arantxa or Colby or whether it's um Mapimpi or Cannon Moody on the right he's just gelling perfectly well with them I mean, Mapimpi and Creel in the first 20 minutes put in two of the biggest hits I have seen by a non-Fiji, Samoan, New Zealander in forever. Massive, massive, massive hits. 
Like you, you really, you really have to clutch at straws if you if you think that Creel is not our best option at thirteen right now. And um, yeah, it's he he's brilliant, and I'm super happy for him. And I'm like, we we are so well covered at thirteen at the moment. We really have options. Like, you know, we've got Estes and who can who can do a job there, but we've got Damien Willems who can cover twelve. Estes in at twelve. Damien Delendi at twelve. Damien Delaney can cover 13. I don't think that that door's completely closed yet. I think we'll see him at 13 leading up to and into a World Cup game somewhere along the line. Um, Jesse Creel can play 13 well, and he can play right wing. We've got Lukanya Amu can play left or right wing and 13 and 12. So our midfield is actually rock solid at the moment. Sorry, I ranted. <laughs> no, I just want to add to that. Um, yeah, I think Creel had Creel's probably the best option you can choose, especially for a game like this. Um, if Lukanyam is not available, because of, we know how good Ireland is in running their patterns and in getting their players out, and I think it really did a shift how Ireland tried to play in the first half because um, Sexton was then trying to do. Um, long passes which were ill-advised instead of going you know through the sexton loops and like the interplay between um, the players in midfield and then getting the ball out so it rushed the Irish um, attack to try and get the ball out wide as far as possible to try and outflank Creel it also yeah I think it it it, it clearly showed because sexton was just his passing was off and I think the Irish um, attack was trying to play too flat and it was only in the second half where they you know, used a few more inside passes where the backline was a little bit deeper, that there was a lot more success for the Irish team. And that's when they had a bit more um, go-forward ball and were able to create the, the two opportunities in which they scored the tries. So I think Creel was really good with that. I do think, though, and I mean, I think we have to balance these things and I have to be sort of the the the, the Grinch that stole um, Christmas in a, in a way, but... Yeah, there were some attacking things, especially pre-Villy, that Krill also just looked really bad at. I, I guess in terms of the attack, the only backline player that looked good pre-Villy uh, Leroux coming on was Damien Dialendi, just because of his ability just to carry the ball and track it up. You know, you there was that wonderful pass from Krill. You need to add again to that. Damien Dialendi, again. He, he has... A, what? Don't you very dare. <laughs> No, our twelve and thirteen have been the best forming backline players in our in the Springboks the whole year, like comfortably. It's it's not that it's not that difficult um, at the moment. No, but genuinely, I think Dirks was (laughs) Dirks was good. Dirks was really good. I think he's. I mean, a few months. I think a few months ago and a few games ago, I think he was almost trying to do too much by himself, but he did find his form in an Australian tour and in Argentina as well. But yeah, back to Creel. I think there is some attacking things that he's just not... Yeah, I think when we give him a situation where he has to make decisions in attack, he's not great. But once he's playing off someone like LaRue, and once, you know, LaRue's... Yeah, basically, this is uh, also a sneaky, low-key way of me complimenting Bill LaRue and how great he was on Saturday. On Thursday, I did talk about my theory that if Colby does somehow perform well at fullback, <laughs> that it might mean some issues for Billy. And yeah, I, I genuinely... No, it's not a public apology to Leroux because I've. <laughs> if people listen to me, I know how good Leroux is. He would always make my 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 first fifteen. It was just this obsession that the Bach coaches seem to have with the utility players, and 
me worrying that that would be to their detriment to the point where they'd be like, oh, Philly doesn't cover this and this, so we'll drop him and, and keep um, Colby so we can have X and Y utility players in the team. But obviously that didn't really happen. Not that Colby had a bad game at all, but I think LaRue just showed you know his value and that, yes, LaRue's not the best defender at 15, and yes, he might let in a try like he did against um, Juan Martin Gonzalez in, in, in the last um, rugby championship game. But LaRue pays it back, and I think, and then some. And his ability on attack and the way that he impacted the attack for the, for the Springboks was great. Um, I'll throw it. Oh, Sean, go on. No, no, mate. I was going to ask a question, but you're going to ask one, so I'll, I'll hit mine after. <laughs> no problem. Um, I'll throw it to Jared about um, the impact of Quacker Smith and Dion Free. I'll just say that I think it was a masterstroke from the box coaches to pick the two fetches because. It did disrupt the Irish ball. It did, you know, it, you know, Free won a, a very big turnover penalty. And Quacha, geez, I mean, <laughs> he's just an unstoppable force when he gets onto the field. And with the um, concussion for Jasper Visa, I think it's quite likely that Quacha is the one playing at eight on Saturday. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Ivan Ruiz is thrown straight into the starting lineup so that we can keep uh, Quacha later oh. on the bench. Uh, Oh, seriously, I oh, okay. wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Um, yeah, I, I know it sounds weird coming from me after saying that. So I don't think uh, Ruiz is, I think Ruiz is still a bit too raw, but it's a kind of uh, tour that they could do this kind of thing on and find out a lot about players. But it it was just incredible. Um, those two seriously made a statement and showed exactly why they are in the, in the squad. Um, Quacha, every time he gets the ball, he just he just seems to make meters. It doesn't matter if he runs straight into a tight head prop; he still seems to get on the front foot. Um, if I look at his stats, what forty meters from his four carries, like ten meters per carry, is what you're looking for from a fullback or outside back that's getting that a free extra yardage every time they get kicked onto. So, yeah, big ups to Quacha and Dion Ferry, like. I think Dion Ferry um, went a long way in silencing those um, critics that say he's too old. I was asked um, last week, what are they doing with Dion Ferry in the squad? And I said to them, no, just uh, his, his, his form has been incredible and it just has to, yeah, he, he has to be there. He deserves to be there at the moment. And he showed that against the Ireland. Like the pair of them gave um, the box a few more opportunities to maybe steal the match. And yeah, I think some um, breakdown calls could have gone their way and we would have been speaking about how they, uh, how they won the match for the box, but not quite, not quite there, but uh, incredible how, how they came and they made a hell of an impact and slowed Ireland's attack right down to, to, to zero kilometers an hour. Okay, so we are going to now introduce, just to finish off this um, Springbok podcast, we are going to introduce a new um, uh, segment in our podcast called Quick Tap, where we will just ask, uh, you know, the people on the pod very you know, sort of quick, short questions about some of the rugby issues, either surrounding a game like the Springbok game or about selection for next week or about future implications, whatever the situation may be. So this is supposed to be sort of a quick uh, discussion point. Um, let me start with mine to Sean. Sean, what's the what's the one big lesson on for the Irish perspective on what they're going to take from this game for the um, for the pool clash with the Springboks in twenty twenty three? 
we need to be tighter up front. Oh, that is a very quick answer. Sorry, I thought you were going to go well, on. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought, I mean, oh, it was a quick tap and go, you know. <laughs> tap, tap, go, that was very quick. Yeah, that, that's, that's what we need to do. We need to be tighter. Like, I think that's literally what will help us a, a whole bunch. Mm. And then Sorry, just flipping it. <laughs> no, no problem. And flipping it for Ireland against the box, what, what's the big lesson for them for 2023? Um, that they need to be a lot better to beat us. Mm. Jared? Uh, yes, see. Uh, that they can match the box up front. I think that's a big thing that Ireland can take away from that, from that game. Mm. I agree with Jared. I think... I mean, there were lots of injuries, obviously, in the Bok back line, but up front, they pretty much faced all the best Bok forwards, apart from Dwayne and Luert for at least half a game. Mm-hmm. So they should take, I think, a lot of positives from the fact that they didn't really give much of an inch up front. They didn't stay, you know, balanced out the scrums as far as possible. The rolling mall wasn't much of a factor, and the Springbok big ball carriers didn't make them miss any tackles. I mean, if you look at the tackle stats, Bok had 79 percent tackles made and Ireland was closer to 90. So that's, I think, big positive for 2023. Sean, what's, um, you want to throw your, your quick tap in? My quick tap is to both of you. So Tyler, you can go first. Would you change the Springbok starting back line for France? Yes. Even if, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll play a more, I'll try to be more in Jacques' head instead of what I would do. But if I'm in Jacques' head, I'd probably go um, Colby at the wing at 14, um, Orange on the bench, Vili at 15, and Manu Lebok at 23 with, um, with maybe with Jane Hendrickser. I'd also put in Fafta Klack for, for this particular game. So De Klack in and, and LaRue in, and Orange and Hendrickser out. Okay, Jared? Uh, yes, I'd change the halfbacks. Uh, I'd have, uh, Buff starting and Ranoch off the bench. Um, I think that could be a game changer, but, uh, I think Libok in the team is a must. Hmm. Okay. I actually wouldn't. I would keep the back line exactly the same. However, I do, uh, I would probably look at a 5-3 bench, but that all with Visa and Lewitt injured and Visa potentially out, that does kind of throw a cat amongst the pigeons. So I'd go for a 5-3, for a but I'd keep the back line the same. Yeah, actually, this brings the next one for me is, Sean, for you, the what do we do about Luert missing? Uh, I would actually start Ori, and I would put, possibly have Mostert on the side of the scrum, or you could have Mostert on the bench, but I would start Ori, and you could you could even put Peter Steff on the bench, but uh, I, I would I would probably I I think I would probably go straight with that unless I, I just don't I, I think it would be best for us to have Mostert on the side of the scrum or on the bench um, for the end of the game. I think Ori will be great for lineouts and just planning all that and working through that for the first sixty or so minutes. Maybe he plays a full eighty and then. We put Mostert on the side, if need be, or have Mostert starting on the side and Peter Steftetoy coming in later for a bit of an impact. Yeah, uh, I Jared? don't know if I'm supposed to answer this one or not, but I'd start uh, Franco Mostert. 
Yeah, I'd start Morstead. At five. And I'd have, yeah, I, I would have Morat and I'd have Ori on the bench. Oh, so Murat both locks. And Ori. Okay. Yeah, I'd go two so locks. So you're having on the a bench. 6 2 bench or a 5 3? 6 2. I'm, I still can't decide, but 6 2. But I'd have two locks on the bench for oh, yeah? France. Have you got a 5 3? 6 2. But I, I'm still, I, I, I okay. still can't get my head around it. I, I still don't know if I want Sasha <laughs> Dave in against It's too France late now. You've told everyone. You've yeah, told yeah, everyone. It's <laughs> too late. Six You've two, committed. Two, six two with uh, two locks on the bench. I, what I'd be and if then, it was up to me, I would be like Eddie Jones and say, "Well, I really wanted to select a seven-one, but we're gonna have to go for six-two this week." <laughs> Listen, on seven-one, Canada, the Canada women's side in the mm. semi-final of the World Cup named a seven-one bench. Yeah, and, and they <laughs> almost beat England. Just putting it out there. As they well. pushed them. I pushed yeah. them. They put in a damn good effort. Also, the Canadian women's side are all semi-pros. So, but seven-one. That's I, I love. I love that no men's national side has done it. I love that Eddie Jones wasn't the first to do it. Firstly, Eddie Jones <laughs> and 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 Ninaba stroke Rusty Rasmus. They totally come up with something. Even Michael Chaker, to be fair, like that's their that's their gravy. That's what I'll just name a full bench of forwards. No worries. Okay, so last two to wrap up this um, Springbok pod. I'll start with Jared for this one, um, then Sean. Um, your thoughts on the SAA team selected for the Munster game on on, on Thursday, sorry. Um, the big surprise inclusions of the Dupria twins into the team. There's three scrum halves all running around. Apparently, Sasha picked up a small training injury and Johan Horsen is picked at number 10. Yeah, I, I like it. I think it's uh, it's brutal. Nice to see the Dupree twins back. Um, uh, yeah, lots of excitement in the fullback, uh, in the backs, not fullbacks, but backs. I'll leave it there. Yeah, I, I'm interested with two out and out scrum halves on the bench. I'm very interested. Um, I didn't realize Sasha picked up an injury. Um, obviously, it's not too too heavy. But yeah, Henke van Vake at 13, I'm super, super excited to see to see him. But I mean, he's been playing against URC sides the whole the whole year. So, you know, he's comfortable in that. Just a new environment for environment for him at the moment. Yeah, I'm very excited to see Ron O'Kia and Jason Jenkins in a lock pairing. That could have been um, what I would be seeing every Saturday for the Bulls, um, but for the Euro. And then <laughs> um, Pepsi Butelezi at six is going to be very interesting. I mean, you know, there's very easy comparisons that you can make to one Siakolisi. So uh, this mm. is probably a, a nice start for him in his career to yeah. play with uh, Lowe and Dupria. Yeah, Lowe's on the side as well, eh? So that's mm. actually a very interesting backline. I quite like it. Uh, um, I'm very interested to see Pepsi on the side because he's obviously... Um, prefers himself and is preferred at eight. Um, so very interested to see. I think that the loose trio is actually very nicely balanced. So Pepsi gets to actually, he can do all that work, that fun stuff, or I say fun stuff, but that stuff that he does at eight for the Sharks, he can still do it on the side. So. Mm. Then the last one to wrap up, um, Sean, the biggest one-on-one matchup that you're looking forward to for Saturday. So between the Springboks and France. Oof, uh, I'm going to cheat here, but I definitely am excited to see 
the 12 and 13, the midfield. So to answer the question in one way, the <laughs> midfields up against each other. Def, I, okay. I think I think that could literally be the the biggest the biggest thing. There are going to be colossal hits there. So that's Dante Fiku probably against Dialendi Creel. That would be very that would be box <sighs> office in itself. It. Um, another one I would throw in is Olivon against Kulisi. I think Charles Olivon had a great game on Saturday. Um, this was his first one back, wasn't Australia. it? Um, he did play in July um, against oh, Japan. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is good. Yeah, Jared has just come back. You can sort of finish us off here. Um, the one, the individual matchup you're looking forward to in the France Springbok game. So um, Sean talked about the centers. I talked about Olivon versus um, Kulisi. Yeah, um, I, I would love for it uh, to be, I like your call of uh, Charles Olivon versus Sia Kulisi, but uh, yeah, I, I would really love for um, Jasper Visa to come through his concussion scare and we can talk about Greg Audrey versus uh, Jasper Visa because that's going to be a hell of a... Mm. That's all. And uh, if it's Quokka Smith, it's still pretty much the same thing. I think Greg Aldrich is in probably one of the best number eights in the world up there with Oli Sevilla. And anyone going up against him, I think he's a hell of a head-to-head, whoever South Africa decides to play at eight. Small side note for Damien Penodo against Makazula Mapimpi. That would be absolute chaos. <laughs> and they both uh, like their little bit of extras. Hey? Did you see uh, Makazole trying yes. to get something out of Peter Omani on the weekend as well? Yeah, and, and also they both, uh, I tell you, the one thing that I'm going to see is Peno is definitely going to want to get early hands on the ball and run, and Makaz is going to come up. Drex is going to smash him. That's what his plan is going to be, is I'm going to shoot up and I'm going to literally dislodge this guy's head off his shoulders. Hopefully with a low tackle, but I think he's going to go crush him. Not for sure. That's, it's, going to be a, but, it's going to be a great Yeah, game. Absolutely. It's going to be top of the world. We've uh, just lost Tyler. So what I'm going to do is I have the honor of wrapping things up and um, just want to say thanks everyone for listening. And we are looking forward to this weekend. We are going to bring you a separate pod with a wrap up of the rest of the Autumn Nations Cup. And we look forward to um having you guys on board for all of that jared thank you so much mate and uh, hopefully we'll chat to you on the next pod exactly thanks sean